From Bregman MD, where we're all about psych solutions, I'm your host, Linda Corley, and this is The Breakdown with Dr. B. Well, a few days ago, I heard an expression I'd never heard of, doctor, and that's called diseases of despair. And it's to me, it sounds very intriguing. It sounds like you'd find that term in like a Victorian novel. She died of a disease of despair. But I was reading about it just yesterday, and um, it's actually a very current term um, related to having despair. Uh, which goes into substance abuse, alcohol, sometimes suicidal thoughts. This is really a big term right now. It's a, it, it, diseases of despair is something that you're really dealing with right now. Tell me about that. Okay, Linda, you know, this is a kind of like a, a dirty little secret. You know, honestly, uh, this thing is much bigger. The pandemic has caused like a lot of the social isolation, you know, that we've had to do. And it's really turned into this wave of a disease of despair. And what are these diseases? Well, you know, they're alcoholism, substance abuse, and really suicide. And the numbers and what we're hearing are are not really anywhere near what's happening. Yeah, I hear that if um, you're going to pinpoint it on an age group, it seems to be like around 50 to 74 that's seen recently the largest increase in alcohol and substance abuse. You know, at 74, I mean, you've got some retirees in that group, right? Is it just... Uh, seemingly being hopeless, uh, the future looks bleak. Um, that's absolutely true, those things you said. You know, what, what's happening here is, you know, there's a lot of disillusionment, you know, with things that have happened. People are getting a little precarious, you know, um, and, and there's um, a real change in, in people's emotional cognition uh, and even their behaviors, so that people are really changing in this, a this age of COVID, especially. But it was happening, you know, well before, you know, in our culture. Absolutely, yeah. There was a study done in 2015 uh, where they found out that it was mostly white working class people, ages 45 to 54. But today, the social stresses have unleashed a tide of despair. So whatever was going on in 2015, it's just exacerbated right now. Absolutely. You know, if we have to look at this in terms of um, socioeconomic as well as psychological, you know, for a, a, a real subset, you know, of our culture, there's been decades of economic decline, uh, less education, less unskilled workers, wages for them falling, and even lower mortgage rates. And I like to, trigger, to talk about that. Uh, and there's less people working. So what's happening is with the pandemic and all this background, you know, what we see is a, a change, okay, a real change. Now, what does that mean, increase 
uh, in single parent households. These people are much more isolated. They're not with the whole extended family. And that is really causing a lot of triggering of these diseases of despair. Okay, so there was this very interesting study. So you talk about diseases of despair. Now, if the disease gets out of control with the substance abuse, the depression, what can happen is you get the deaths of despair. Okay, so disease goes into deaths of despair. And there was a study that really unpacked this death of despair. Um, they, it was called the Great Smoky Mountain Study. This was, um, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And it looked at a part of the country with a huge opioid overdose problem that was connected to this death of despair. These young people who felt they were living with such great despair that they started becoming alcoholics, addicts. And so these scientists did this study, right? And they came up with four indicators, like what were the common denominators between this subset of of people that were dying from death of despair? And they found four things. This is very interesting. Two of the indicators that everyone had in common was hopelessness and low self-esteem. Now, the low self-esteem part comes from childhood, and we're going to talk about that later in the podcast. The third indicator was feeling unloved. Again, that stems from childhood. And the fourth indicator was worrying frequently. That's interesting, right? So these worriers, people feeling unloved, having low self-esteem, therefore feeling helpless, were very common, were very ripe to get this death of despair, to die of a death of despair. What do you think of that? Does that resonate with you, doctor? In my practice of 40 years, I've had to really assess a lot of people, you know, for suicide potential. And one of the things that I've seen is the minute you have a combination of alcohol and drugs and depression, I get on the phone with everybody. Get this person in the hospital. This is serious. The combination that we're talking about that's going on today is really what we're seeing. And I think for those that are listening, if you have somebody who's close, a loved one, a friend who's involved in drugs and alcohol and they're depressed, you got to really highlight this person with you and get them some real care. You know, I looked up the definition of despair and it says down from hope. Isn't that interesting? So you've got hope on one uh, part of the spectrum and despair on the other. So it's just really the opposite of, of hope. You know, I was reading, is it its own form of suffering, despair? Okay. Is it a distinct psychological status? maybe as, as I'm surmising that could be traced back to childhood with maybe a propensity for addiction problems. Okay. You know, one of the things I think about is kids with low self-esteem 
don't tend to reach out. Okay, that's one a huge issue. Kids with higher self-esteem, we'll talk about this later, they are more likely to have mentors reach out. If they're not doing well, find some help. But people with low self-esteem, the ones we're talking about from childhood, they don't reach out. You know, I was reading in a psychological magazine that there was a little bit of a debate on whether despair should get its own form of suffering. Like depression is very clinical. Volumes have been written about it. But what is the difference between despair versus depression? Well, you know, it's certainly a sign of depression. And I think it still should be put under depression. And and despair is multi-determined. You know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, people feel that way. But I don't think we need to make up something new. You know, I, I think maybe we should highlight more despair when we are inquiring about depression. Okay, so you have a friend or a child or a father that has this disease of despair. What are some of the symptoms we should be on the lookout for? First of all, now with looking at diseases, despair in terms of alcohol and substance abuse. Okay, so we really um, need to uh, see if we have that going on. So the people involved need to assess that. A, this person doing too many, too much drugs and alcohol, being isolated, giving away property, talking about death. So it's really, I think, is a subset of depression. Got it. Okay. So once you've seen all these symptoms, these signs, what do you do? Okay. This is different than other things in terms of tips. We got to get on the stick. We got to really do something about it. In other words, that person needs to be in a secure environment so that you know, they don't hurt themselves. So many times I've seen people go to the hospital who really want to kill themselves. And then they say, you know, doc, I'm really glad I didn't do it over and over again. So what what really is, and this is a real important message of this podcast. If you have someone who has things we're talking about, about diseases of despair and, and some of the Uh, the depression and the comorbid alcohol substance abuse, you got to really do something about this ASAP. Okay. So again, you know, suicide hotline, um, a Dr. Bregman, any type of counseling and a lot of love port in there too. That would take a lot of understanding and patience. And you know, Linda, if all else fails, it's 911. Okay, that it's a bad thing. In other words, people should really take this very seriously. Well, one of the things we brought up, which was the one of the four indicators of um, a commonality that people with diseases of despair have was a low self-esteem, which goes to show you, uh, I think we take esteem, sometimes self-esteem for granted. But as a parent, I think more should be made of it because self-esteem, which is confidence, is important to instill in children for success. And Dr. Bregman, you're the perfect person to be talking about this because I want to remind 
our listeners today that you were the former head of psychiatry at Miami Children's Hospital. And I'm thinking, being a smart doctor that you are, you probably tried to give young parents the advice all the time of why it was important to instill in the blank slate of a little child that its self-esteem would be a great ingredient uh, for success in a, in a child's life. Tell me about that. Okay, well, first, what is like a, a definition of self-esteem? It's how much people value themselves, how important they believe in the world. It's very important to talk about positive self-esteem in particular, okay? So simply put, positive self-esteem is when people feel good about themselves. But you know what? I, I really want to instill in the viewers why this is so important. Only because I'm in a lot of ways I'm talking to myself because if I could go back in time and I was a young mother and someone said, here's the one thing that you need to give your children. I, I wish they said you need to instill self-esteem into them, which I did. But I think I would have done it more because I was reading all this research uh, in, in uh, looking forward to our talk today. And I was reading the laundry list of what self-esteem gives our children. And the list is so long. I mean, they feel respected. They're resilient. There's your word, doctor, that you'd love to use. They act independently. All right. They take responsibility for their actions. They actually have the courage to say, I'm sorry, I did that. I'm going to make a change. Oh, like, you know, the list is long. So I just want to underscore the importance of parents giving self-esteem to their children. So now, okay, drum roll, how do you do that? Okay, why is it important for the kids, okay? If the kids have positive self-esteem, they feel confident, they feel capable, they think good about themselves, they're proud. So it really helps. And it helps in that kind of growth mindset that they can have challenges, they cope, they learn from their mistakes. These are great things that adults need to have and we instill in kids. And it's so important to build positive self-esteem. Okay, so where do you draw the line? I asked you this a few months ago. I know this is like hitting you on the side of the head, but no, it's a really good question. Where do you draw the line between creating a child with great self-esteem and a child who's just downright conceited? First of all, it's really important because kids know a lot more than we think. You tell them you level with them. You know, when they're doing okay, you tell them. When they're not, you tell them. So it's sincere. So when you praise them, it's sincere because the kids know when it's not true. When they failed at something, you tell them, you know, that, that how great they are. Maybe you need to kind of also help them to get through this. So I think it has to do with how the parents approach the child and, and, and making of their praise really seem real. And yeah, so most parents out there think, oh, I'll just have to compliment Johnny a lot. You know, a lot of praise, a lot of empowerment. But you know what? I was reading that it's, it's more than that. Don't be overprotective because 
if you are giving them independence, you're giving them choices. And by giving them choices, they're going to make mistakes sometimes. But you know what? Sometimes they're going to make great choices. And that's going to empower them with a lot of self-confidence. So independence is huge. Um, when you, you accomplish a lot, you feel good about yourself, right? The, the other thing I was kind of surprised is um, encourage your children to build friendships because kids with f- good friendships are kids that have high self-esteem. Do you agree? You know, that is absolutely true. You know, if we encourage them to have good friendships and they make mistakes and they practice, then they grow up to be very adequate adults, you know, who find mentors, um, who are out there, they're resilient. They really act independently. They take responsibility for their actions. And they're right. comfortable with having relationships. If anybody listening has kids, building this positive self-esteem is key to helping a child be a, a responsible adult. What you're giving us is really great, great advice. And I want to apologize to our listeners for all the animal sounds. Dr. Bregman lives like in a jungle full of parrots. And I've got two dogs on the sofa here. One who is a little cranky. So in case you were wondering what that growling was, that's Mr. Rody. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anything else you want to say about self-esteem? Because I think this is one of my favorite topics and so important to young moms and dads to know that, you know, you've got this adorable little blank slate in front of you and uh, giving them the gift of self-esteem is one of the most important things that you can give your child. Yeah, I just want to leave everybody with a few takeaways that we kind of summarize, okay? First of all, a positive self-esteem gives the kids confidence to face challenges, and we would like adults to be like that now, but certainly these kids going to adults in the age of the virus. Also, then we want kids to value themselves and ask for help. When kids feel you know, like they're valued, then they go reach out for help. And we certainly like that aspect of people in adults. And then, like we talked about being realistic with the kid. In other words, level with them. You know, that's what we talked about today. And that builds that positive self-esteem. I love it. Honesty, love. Yep. Sounds good, Linda. All right. Well, all our animals agree. Your cat... Your dog, my dogs, and of course, the peacocks in the background, they all agree self-esteem <laughs> is the way to go. Yeah, and nature's good, too. We throw is, that in. Is. Throw that okay. in to the mixture. Yeah, get out nature, okay? Get out okay. nature. All right. Well, maybe we'll talk about that next time. But okay. uh, right now, I want to thank all our listeners, you know, for downloading us and sharing our podcast. We really appreciate that. And until next week... Dr. Bregman, I'll talk to you then. Talk to you then, Linda. Take care. Have a good week. Bye, everybody. From Bregman, MD, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Breakdown with Dr. B. If you'd like more information or to speak to one of our top psychiatrists, just head to our website at BregmanMD.com to book a telepsychiatry visit from the comfort of your home. 
Hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast. Catch you next time.